Hey, how are you doing today? Good. How's it going, man? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for calling into this. Um, I, I really can't tell you how much appreciate it, and I'm really excited to talk to you. Well, I'm frustrated that I haven't listened more to your uh, your interviews, but just you know, you know how it is: time and day job and night job and life and. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, just the fact that you oh, it is. started uh, is really cool. And I'd like to think I've gotten better since the beginning because sometimes I kind of cringe when I listen to, if I go back and listen to some of the early ones, but I'm, I'm, it's still very much a work in progress for me. Some of it obviously is, uh, you know, who you're talking to and, and that sort of thing too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely encountered some of that and some of the, um, like Strickland was a really talkative guy and that was a really cool one. And I found the, um, one of the one of my favorite recent ones I did was Nick Fazekas. He just he was yeah. very open and honest about things that happened during his time here, and um, it, it was it was really interesting, and I, I really enjoyed our conversation. I remember when he was here, I liked talking to him. Not that I talked to him very much, but what I liked was whenever he whenever he was on his conference call when he got drafted, and he was talking about his preparation for the draft and the things that he'd done. And I thought he was a really mature player in that he had a very good grasp of what he could do, which of course is important, but perhaps even more important than that, he had a really good grasp of what he couldn't do. You know, a lot of guys think they can do everything and nobody ever kind of wants to say, well, I can't do this and this is a weakness and I need to get better at this. And I mean, he spent, you know, quite a bit of time talking whenever he got drafted about the things he'd been working on that he wasn't very good at and, you know, trying to make those better, but realizing he was just going to have to be smart about staying away from that. And I thought that was a really mature attitude about his game, you know, because like I said, a lot of guys don't have that kind yeah. of approach. Yeah. And we kind of talked about that a little bit just when I asked him about his draft process and like his mentality at the time. So he kind of did harp on those things a little bit. So I know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, he was, that's very cool. That's, I'm glad that uh, worked out nicely for you. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very excited to talk to you and I'm honored that you agreed to join me for this. Um, I'm having a blast talking to, mainly former Mavericks, but I try to sneak in the occasional non-Mav guest. And I think you're the third non-player I've talked to so far. Um, I talked to great, great. former ref Tim Donaghy, right. Lee Ellis from the starters, and now you. All right. Well, well, uh, that's an interesting trio of <laughs> non-Maverick-related guests, and I probably should just leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And really, I, I just wanted to obviously have you on and talk about your your story and your 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 career, and just ask you some questions about your, like yeah. the day to day aspects of it and other things outside of your job with the Mavs. So, one of the first things I wanted to ask you is what. I know you're a Dallas native, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, same, I am. same here. So growing up, like, I guess after college, what events unfolded for you to be able to be in the position that you are in now? Um, yeah, Dallas native, born at Baylor Hospital in 1971. So, so uh, and I've lived in various cities in Dallas County and outside of. But, yeah, almost, uh, I mean, I'll be 47 here and, and not very many more weeks. And of those 47 years, gosh, at this point, I would say probably 44 of the 47 years have been spent living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So there was a short time that my family lived in New Mexico when we were growing up. And then uh, I had one job outside of college that had me in Oklahoma City for not even a full year. So just uh, for a little bit more background information on 
being a Dallas native and the connection of the area. And, you know, like I said, uh, my family, as, as I was growing up, lived in different places in the immediate vicinity, uh, Louisville and Mesquite and Justin. And, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of, most of my adult life probably has been in Dallas, but you know, there's a time I lived in the mid cities and stuff like that too. So anyhow, um, so the, uh, the events about, uh, that led to my getting to start working with the Mavs, I think probably most people know, uh, for those that don't, I spent a pretty significant amount of time working at the ticket, Mm -hmm. which uh, on the day that we're recording this interview, by the way, is January the 24th, which is the 24-year anniversary of the first day the station was on the air. So that's kind of cool. Oh, that is Um, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and the station started in January of 1994. And, you know, I did numerous things while I was there. And, and about 1999, I would say, somewhere in that neighborhood, I started getting some limited opportunities to be part of the Mavs radio broadcast from a studio hosting perspective. Uh, at the time, the games were on 570 KLIF. And, of course, as you know, Michael, at the time, the Mavs were wrapping up the decade of the 90s, mm-hmm. where if all my years of working with Bob Ortigal still served me well, and I can remember this, he used to say he used to know their record for the entire decade. And I believe it was <laughs> 199 wins and 507 losses is what he used to tell me. So, Oh, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah, those yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, those were some lean years, man. I don't know. I, I think that's what it was. I mean, it was not good. You know, it was it was uh, you know, a very, very difficult year. And if my numbers are a little bit off, I still think everybody gets the picture. And a few times, though, in 1999, uh, I got the chance to work on the studio side of the Mavs broadcast. Um, You know, the the games were on 570 KLIF. The ticket and cliff were owned by the same parent company at the time, Susquehanna Faultsgraph. And, you know, as many situations occur when multiple uh, media outlets are owned by one parent company or something like that, then you have people who will work at, at many of those different media outlets. And so while I was working at the ticket and doing any number of different things there, um, you know, I was interested, whereas I don't think a lot of people were, there were a couple of us, but not very many people were clamoring to spend their nights being on the Mavs radio broadcast when they were in the middle of not doing very well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, you know, I was excited to do it because, you know, I had aspirations about, you know, let's see where it goes, but also I liked the Mavs and, you know, to get to be on an NBA radio broadcast to me was really cool. Even if you weren't doing play by play, just being a part of it was something that I was excited about and wanted to do. So, uh, you know, I did that and, and shared those duties with some others um, and then the opportunity came up, my first chance to, to do a game. There, were, there looked like there was going to be a chance I was going to do a game in late 1999 where Matt Pinto, the radio voice at the time, was having some throat issues. And I actually went to Houston with him uh, in case something was going to be a problem. And then, you know, he was able to do the game. And I think I did a little bit of pre and post from on site. So he didn't have mm-hmm. to do that at halftime. But, um, you know, and by I mean more pregame than the normal studio host would do. I mean, you know, even the stuff that he normally might do, mm-hmm. uh, he passed off to me, and we had a studio host. We just did everything we could so he could just use his voice for the game, and that was it. So he didn't do the play-by-play for that game. Uh, the opportunity to, to call a game for the first time came in March of 2000. Jim Durham, the late Jim Durham, and Pro Basketball Hall of Famer Jim mm-hmm. Durham was our TV voice at the time, as you know. Yes, And uh, he had a family situation arise and couldn't be there. And so Matt moved up and did television on Fox Sports Southwest. 
and I filled in for Matt on radio. And that was March 16th, 2000. Um, the game was in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome. One of your former Maverick forgotten or one of your forgotten Maverick podcast guests recently, um, Eric Strickland, had 26 points in the game and the Mavs won. And it was a lot of fun to get to do it. And that was uh, at the Alamo Dome, like I said, in San Antonio. And that was my first chance to do a game. The following season, uh, JD had had some, some medical problems. And it looked like that he had, by a large part, gotten over those. And there was just a couple of times early in the season where I filled in. There was a game up in Denver uh, that I filled in for him that we had sort of scheduled so he'd have a little bit of extra time off. But then while on a road trip, the medical problems that he was having resurfaced and he ended up needing to have surgery to, to fix one of the issues that he was having at the time. And that meant that he was out almost half the season. And so I spent that first year that the Mavs made it into the playoffs, I spent from around Thanksgiving of 2000 until the beginning of February 2001 doing the radio broadcast while Matt did TV. And, you know, obviously that was a lot of fun. There were some great wins. Um, you know, some people who listen to the ticket may remember the uh, laughs that they had over how out of control excited I got when Howard Isley hit a three in Charlotte to win a game. And, <laughs> Mavericks win! The Mavericks win! Yes. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was radio insanity. I was excited, though. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. So, um, you know, th- th- those kind of things – Certainly, you know, I've always said this, and, and I do think that, that this has always been the case and always will be the case. It's amazing how much better the announcer sounds when the team is doing well. And fortunately, <laughs> my chance to fill in for almost half a season was the first year that the Mavs were good again. And in the midst of, you know, a lot of great wins and a lot of exciting games that led to uh, that season where they got themselves back into the playoffs. And I went back to doing studio after my time filling in on radio play-by-play wrapped up at the beginning of February, and J.D. returned to TV. Mm-hmm. And we all returned to our original roles, and I spent the rest of that season being the pre-halftime and post-game host on KLIF and doing call-in shows. And, you know, I was in the studio uh, the night that Calvin Booth hit the layup, and then Carl Malone missed the jumper at the buzzer when the Mavs completed their comeback against Utah that was awesome. in 2001. Oh, man, yeah. that was fantastic. And then after that, you know, that season ended. And then that particular summer, some things happened in terms of what, you know, if you, if you remember, by that point, Mark was a year and a half into owning the team. Mm-hmm. And he had some vision for how the broadcast should be in terms of, um, you know, contractual status and, and uh, you know, employment status and, you know, without getting into a whole lot of details about it, he just, he, you know, things had been done one way prior to his arrival and then he wanted to do things a little bit differently. And because of that, that just led to some opportunities, um, you know, for me to move into the position on a full-time basis. And then I did radio from 2001 to 2005. And then in 2005 moved on to the TV side. And, uh, you know, I spent a little bit of time, you know, I, I was, I was at the, it's the funny story about it is, is that the, at 2005, you know, I was kind of reluctant to give up doing radio. Uh, you know, I got into the business as a radio guy and mm-hmm. that's what I thought it was all about. You know, you're the eyes and ears uh, for the listener or you're the eyes for the listener who only has his ears to be able to be tuned into the game and the theater of the mind, and it's the true art form of play by play and all that sort of thing. And, and so, you know, I didn't have a great understanding of, the ins and outs of television and all of the, you know, now, now that I've done it for 13 years, now that I understand all of the rewarding and exciting and fun things that there are about it. But at the time I was a little reluctant. And so I actually spent a couple of seasons there, if you'll remember 
uh, Chuck Cooperstein started doing the radio, but for the first two years, whenever the Mavs would go off local TV because it was on TNT or ABC, then I would slide back over and do radio. And, uh, you know, I get to be on the radio during the whole 2006 run and, you know, experience the highs and lows of that. Right. Uh, once, once, once 2007 rolled around, um, you know, then I kind of walked, you know, got away from that. And Chuck does obviously all the games on radio now, and I do the ones that are on TV. And if it's not on TV, then uh, I get the night off and either watch the national TV broadcast or listen to Chuck or listen to our buddy Victor Villalba on the Spanish radio broadcast. And, and this is uh, season 13 of doing the TV broadcast, 17 doing full-time Mavericks broadcasting, 19 if you count those two years of doing – some of the games on radio from a play-by-play standpoint and some of the other games from a pre-halftime and post standpoint. That is so neat. And I remember you being involved in those early days, mainly because growing up at my house, we didn't have cable. I want to say until like the 2003 season. So I would only be able to watch games if they were like on either, I think it was, it was K-Star 49 and uh, UPN maybe. And then, and then if they were ever on like NBA on NBC in the playoffs or anything like that, but yeah, or I would just listen. I would sit in my bedroom and listen on the radio. And I, I remember listening to that Howard Isley game. And then <laughs> I actually do. And then I remember the like the very next night is when Finley hit those two miracle threes against Orlando to force overtime. Yeah, Daryl Armstrong, Daryl Armstrong, a ninety percent free throw shooter. Every once in a while, I still ask him. I still bring this up. Not not often, but but every <laughs> once in a while, I bring up the, the missing the two free throws with the with the Magic up three, and he was a ninety percent free throw shooter that year. So yeah. Uh, yeah, those were those were fun times, and, and there was a lot of exciting games. And remember, too, you know, the other thing that happened in the midst of all of that, that that was kind of, you know, made things different from a radio standpoint was the games moved. The games have been on cliff for so long. Uh, remember that it, back in the back in the day when I was, you know, when I was listening to those games on the radio, as uh, it sounds like you were back as, as, as a younger man in 2000 yeah. and 1999, what I would listen to was on WBAP 820. And then in the 90s, um, you know, there was just kind of a domino effect. Games moved all around. The Rangers ended up going from WBAP to KRLD, and the Cowboys moved. And then the Mavs ended up moving from WBAP and sharing the station with the Rangers. They ended up going to KLIF, and the Stars went on to WBAP. And there was just like, a, you know, when they moved to town in the, in the early 90s from Minnesota. And so there was just a real change in a lot of things that were how they were covered on the radio here in the early 90s. And the Mavs were on cliff for that stretch of time. And then when I started in 2001, full-time, was also the first year that they had moved over to 103.3 ESPN, which is where they still are today. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, those are – that's kind of crazy how everything bounced around like that. I know, like I think the first time you and I kind of interacted on Twitter, you mentioned something about Seattle and how you miss – going to Seattle as a, as an NBA city or just as a city in general. One thing I wanted to ask yeah. you about is what are some of your, your favorite NBA cities when you're on the road with the Mavs? I, I don't think anybody, the, the list wouldn't surprise anyone. Um, you know, like a lot of people, I enjoy the big East coast and West coast cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and warm weather's uh, warm weather's a good thing too. Uh, yeah. You know, I like my, I lo- love Miami, love LA. Uh, the weather's not necessarily warm in San Francisco and New York city, but those are, places that I love too. So, I mean, right there, I probably told you my top four in probably some sort of rotating order, depending on the year and the experience that I might have there. But, but those four stand out more than anything else. And then maybe just like right below that, but also places that I love to go. I, I, I'm a huge fan of Philadelphia. I think that's an incredibly underrated city. 
I tell people this, that if you ever wanted to go live on the East Coast and you wanted to live in the Boston, D.C. corridor and be in a big city, but have something resembling a normal quality of life from a cost of living and ability to get around standpoint, you know, and not be, not, not have the, the cost of living that you have in Boston, D.C. and New York, and also the inherent problems of getting around traffic-wise in those towns. Mm-hmm. Not that Philly doesn't have traffic as well, but to me, if you, if you look at the big four, uh, again, Boston, D.C. corridor cities, and if you want to include Baltimore as five, but we don't go there, so I don't think about them quite as much. Right. But if you look at the, that, that big northeastern corridor of cities, Philadelphia is, is, if you wanted to live and have a normal quality of life and something, you know, normal cost of living, relative to what you would have in those other cities. That's, that place is great. But I love D.C. Um, I love Phoenix because the weather's always great. Uh, I really enjoy the mountains when we go to Denver and Salt Lake City. Those are a couple of places that I like to go to a whole lot as well. So, I mean, that, that gets you to about 9 or 10 right yeah. there in terms of the places that I really, really enjoy going. Yeah, that's really cool. I've been to a handful of those, so I hope to, I hope to visit more of them. I was wondering if you were going to say Chicago, only because I lived there for four and a half years. Um, right. Yeah, and I, I, I love that city. And another reason, I think maybe on Ballin' with Brian or on the Unbranded podcast, I, uh, podcast. I mean, I think you mentioned your love for Pita Pit. And one thing yeah, I wanted to I do mention, like that place a lot. Yeah, one thing I wanted to mention about Pita Pit is that in Chicago, it was I would pass by one all the time on uh, my way home from the train. And I can't tell you like how many times I knew I had like dinner in the fridge and I would just completely turn around and go to Pita Pit because I wanted that instead. But, so uh, what uh, were you by uh, college? I mean, with the uh, Peter Pitt, was it? Did you go to DePaul or Northwestern or something like that? Uh, no, I went to college in St. Louis. Um, but then after after St. Louis, I I moved back to Dallas for about six months, and I got an internship at a, a sports marketing company here in Dallas. But then they ended up offering me a position in the Chicago office. So I oh, moved, okay. I moved yeah. there and I lived there for like four and a half years. But then I um, Ended up moving back almost four years ago now. My wife is the one that brought me back, but I, it's still one of my favorite cities for sure. I, I like Chicago. Um, you know, it didn't. It probably doesn't make my list of top nine or ten. It's probably just on the outside, maybe yeah. because there's just a, there's a coldness there. That yeah. I mean, even though a lot of those other places I mentioned are cold too, but there's a there's a bone chilling nature about that cold in Chicago. <laughs> um, and. Yeah. And maybe if we went there more often, I mean, you know, I, I experience always in the winter. Mm-hmm. I've been there on my own in the summer and know what a great place it is then. Uh, you know, Chicago's a great city. It's just, there's a lot of great cities in the NBA and, and some other ones that we go to beat that one out in terms of what I like. You know, it's interesting that you brought up the Pita Pit because I always associate that with being located near a college campus. But I feel like that their business model is branching out. Um, you know, I've discovered one in Atlanta that's, that's not too far away from Georgia Tech. Um, you know, and, and there's one in Milwaukee and that one's not a long way away from Marquette, but, but it does seem like that, uh, the business model is evolving a little bit in terms of not just being something that's around a college campus, which is why I asked you about the, the college side of things from the Peter oh, Pit. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I lived yeah. right by DePaul at the time, but yeah. I went, oh, okay. I well then there you college. go. Yeah. 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 It was literally across oh. the street from, uh, DePaul's Lincoln Park campus. Um, oh sure. Okay. Yeah. And then I know like just some other things I wanted to ask you about, I'd, I'm a big runner too. I run all the time around Dallas. What are some of your, your favorite places to run in, in DFW? Uh, I like the Katy trail. I mean, that's my number one place. Uh, if I don't just run around my own neighborhood. Um, and the, the funny story about why I like the Katy trail is that, that I, you know, I mean, I enjoy running from a perspective of not just, it's a good way to stay in shape, but I like training and, 
even though I don't do the 5k running that I, you know, the amount that I used to do, but I used to love to go race neighborhood 5ks and man, I would do that, you know, 20, 25, 30 times a year. I mean, I would, you know, sign up for a lot of races and really enjoy doing that. And so that was always to me a really good place to train for those things. Um, because you know, you had good level ground, uh, you know, and so that was one aspect of it. You know, you knew the area, there were no surprises. and I don't like, you know, surprises mess you up when you're running and throw, throw your rhythm off and everything like that. But, but the other thing I like too, is it's just marked off every quarter of a mile. And when you're, when you're training for doing those things, I've just always been a real stopwatch obsessed runner. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you can look at your stopwatch and every quarter of a mile, you're getting feedback on exactly what your pacing is. That's, that's why I've always liked that. And I have a buddy that I run with sometimes and I know I must annoy him when I'm sitting ahead, like, all right, we were at, uh, you know, the pace, our, our mile pace for that last quarter of a mile was a seven, seven, ten mile or, you know, whatever. So it just, that's why I like it because I, I get, it, it's marked off and you know how far you're running at all points and you get feedback about what your pace is the whole time. And it's good for, from a training standpoint for that. So, so that's my number one place to go. And if I don't do that, then it's usually just, you know, around my neighborhood or on the treadmill at the gym or do some sprints on the treadmill or get a high, go to a high school track or something like that. Um, but as far as a place to run, a specific place that I would go to to run, it's almost exclusively the Katy Trail. Very cool. Yeah, I used to live around there, um, but now I'm out in Richardson, so a lot of times I'm on the White Rock Creek Trail. Sure, of course. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of my go-to. I have to drive to it now because I used to live a little bit closer to it, but I liked it so much. It's not. It's it's a pretty short drive, though. But, sure, sure. Yeah. I, I think... Uh, you know, I, I can remember when I used to ride a bike a lot more often that, uh, you know, that, that takes you from White Rock Lake, you know, ob- as you know, way up into Richardson. And that was a, used to be a great trail for bike riding for me. I, I used to enjoy that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoy it, too. Um, what's, on, what's on your Netflix these days? Any, any good shows? So I saw, you know, to peel back the curtain just a little bit to let everybody know um, that, you know, that, that Michael emailed me and, you know, <laughs> told me, I mean, you didn't give me a full list of questions. It's not like that. But, you know, you made me aware of some of the kinds of general ideas and concepts of things that you wanted to ask. So I feel really bad about this, um, you know, but I am just not a Netflix person. So okay. maybe it's maybe it's my age of being nearly 50 <laughs> years old and I still like television and I'm not a cord cutter and you know, I'm a sports guy and a lot of my world revolves around watching sports. Um, I had a soccer game on before we started doing this interview and I, while well, I've been sitting here, I've just like moved around the TV and there's another soccer game that's on right now that I'm watching <laughs> that's uh Tigres of Monterrey and Querétaro from Mexico, and it's some replay that's on uh, Univision Deportes right now that I, I, I see that that's like a, a condensed replay that I have on while we're sitting here chatting. So, you know, honestly, I, I am embarrassed to say, and maybe this makes me sound old and lame, but I haven't really gotten into shows on Netflix. And honestly, as the years have gone by, um, you know, and maybe this probably speaks to me, not the quality of what's out there. I've moved, just kind of gravitated away a lot from shows mm-hmm. and having, you know, I've had a few in recent, I mean, I tried to get, I was into empire for a little while, you know, we're talking about over the air TV shows mm-hmm. and when the blacklist first came on, I liked that. And then it started getting like, see, the problem is, is these shows come on and I think that they're good. And then they start like getting just really weird and they start going off into this, like these, you know, uh, 
really involved and and just uh, you know over elaborate plot lines and it gets confusing and <laughs> if you have to you know I, I mean my schedule you know the thing about a, a, an NBA schedule too is you know you're not nine to five and right. some weeks you might be in town the whole week like this week and then some weeks you're gone and then you get behind on the DVR and then you have another thing you want to watch and so it just it uh, the Having shows, unfortunately for me, like I said, this probably is more speaks to me than what uh, the quality that's out there and, and is something that people can, you know, poke fun at me about. But I just don't, I don't have any, unfortunately, these days, um, other than I enjoy watching sports. And, you know, I, I mean, I still watch the local news, if that tells you how, uh, <laughs> you know, about, I mean, I know a lot of people uh, are, are not watching local news, uh, but, but I would also say that maybe, maybe we're being, told that that's the case and i don't necessarily know that that is but just for the record so people know yes i watch the local news and weather and still enjoy the local tv sportscast and that sort of thing so you know those are those are my tv viewing habits these days all right that's that's fair and uh yeah yeah that, i mean that makes sense i mean if there's a if there's a show that uh that's that's non uh, competitive sports related that i that i record every week and then i watch it but i fast forward through a lot of it i just you know I watch enough of it to get an idea of what's going on and watch the things that I think are cool about it is I do record once again, something that will probably speak to a lack of uh, intelligence on my part. Some people would say anyway, uh, as I record wrestling on uh, USA every week. So, and, and then, like I said, I don't spend a lot of, I mean, I fast forward through a lot of it, but yeah, I know what's going on. Yeah. I'm up to speed on what's going on on raw every week on the WWE. <laughs> so, so typically every year, like, once the Mavs season ends, you know whether they're in the playoffs or not. What do you what what occupi- occupies your time during the uh, during the off season? Well, you know that's changed a lot over the years too. Uh, when I first started, the things that occupied my time in the off season were, you know, a lot of it was just uh, you know physical stuff, physical training stuff. You know, one of the things uh, I like to share with people, you know, if I may get really personal for a minute, is. You know, and I and, and and I say this because I hope maybe somebody will hear this and maybe they'll be a little inspired by my own story. And that is that in my 20s and 30s, uh, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to, um, you know, keeping myself in the best health and, um, you know, physical exercise and not that I am certainly anybody that you would hold up and say, this guy is a great standard of how to eat and such, but I do a much better job than what I used to of it. That's for sure. But anyway, I just didn't, you know, make go the extra mile to take the best possible care of myself figuring, well, I'm 20 years old. I'm in my twenties and early thirties. And so what difference does it make? Well, my experience with the Mavs when I started my first year in 2001, 2002 and being a guy that uh, was, was, you know, way more than he should have. And not only was it way more than I should have that carry the weight poorly. Um, and, and it wasn't like that I weighed a lot because I was, you know, packing on a whole bunch of muscle. It just, it wasn't very good in that regard. And, and so after a year of that, and I think you realize when you travel and you're gone and you're in an airplane all the time and, and the erratic schedule, I mean, fatigue was really a problem for me whenever that first year of doing it full time, 2001, 2002, when it came to an end. Oh, wow. So at that point, I mean, I made a concerted effort that I was going to, you know, to really dial in and zero in on being a healthier person. And, uh, you know, finally took that step of committing to and joining a gym and staying with it. You know, like a lot of people, I, I think there might be people that listen that, that 
or people who want to make changes in their physical appearance and how they feel and, and going to a gym, if you are not used to that can be hard because you think, you know, there's all these in shape people and I'm going to be the out of shape person. I'm going to look bad and they're going to, you know, people are going to think uh, what this guy doing here or, or, or man or woman or whatever the case is. And it's just not like that. And so I hope that if, if somebody listens to this and, and they've been thinking about, I want to make a change in my life, uh, make a lifestyle change and be more concerned with my health and things like that. Then I hope listening to what I did would inspire somebody to do that because it's hard to take those first steps. I can tell you that I can assure you of that. I walked in those shoes, but once you do, it's a great thing. And so after my first year with the Mavs, I made a decision about that and went from weighing like 205 to about 170 to 175. And, you know, ever since then, it's been a lifestyle change and you know, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination here, nearly 47 years old. But I'd also say that uh, for over 15 years now, I've, you know, tried to stick with that program with uh, with some, you know, some wavering moments, but by and large part sticking with it and maintaining, uh, you know, a, a physical appearance and weight and feeling and level of health that I'm really uh, qu- quite pleased with. So to answer your question, that's what for many, many years, I mean, a lot of my summer would would off season, if you will, would be focused mm-hmm. on that. Uh, and it still is of course, but you know, as the years have evolved, I've picked up more things to do during the summer. Whereas, you know, off season time wasn't just some Maverick speaking engagements and some career days on behalf of the Mavs at a school or something like that. You know, in addition to doing those things, now I do FC Dallas games right. on our local TV broadcast. And, you know, I've moved into a role of doing quite a bit of nationally uh, national soccer on Fox um, the past couple of summers, I mean, they've worked on uh, under 20 and under 17 World Cups on Copa America Centenario on the CONCACAF Gold Cup last summer and doing national MLS games uh, as well. So uh, Major League Soccer, for those who don't know, who, who might not be into the soccer world as much. So just to, for clarification purposes. But I do that and I do, uh, you know, uh, a limited schedule of college football games, usually six to eight a year. And I do those for the Fox family of networks. Most of them are on FSN. Some of them are on, some of them are on FS1 and by and large part, they're big 12 games. Um, you know, this past year, let's see my schedule. I did a game Jackson state at TCU Baylor hosted UTSA, Arizona state at Texas tech, Kansas at Iowa state, um, Texas tech and Baylor, Baylor and Iowa state. And then one big 10 game, Iowa and Nebraska. So that was, like to give people an idea of the kind of level of games that I'm doing, I did those seven games or what I did college football wise this past year. And, and those two things I've been doing on a regular basis for, for six or seven years now. So that keeps my off season busy, having the, the soccer commitments locally and nationally and the college football commitments as well. I knew, I knew you were involved in, in those. I, just, I didn't really know the extent of it. So yeah, definitely. It sounds like you're keeping really busy once, uh, once the Mavs season ends. I think I just have one last question for you. And, and thank you so much, Mark, for, for joining me today. Sure. I, I really appreciate it. This is something I've done probably like in the last half of my interviews. So I'm looking here at the 2011 roster uh, right. for, the, for the Mavs. I wanted to see there's 18 names on it because I'm, it includes some players that were, you know, played regular season games but didn't finish the season with the team. I wanted to see how many of them you could name. Oh, wow. <laughs> Okay. Well, obviously, your starting five would have been um, Jason Kidd and, I mean, for the most part, Deshaun Stevenson, mm-hmm. Sean Marion, Dirk, and Tyson Chandler. 
There you go. And then off the bench, you would have J.J. Barea and Jason Terry and Brendan Haywood. Uh, yeah, those guys were in the rotation yeah. quite a bit. Uh, Peja got into the mix, of course. Yep. So there's so we're up to nine right now, right? Let's see. And then you had uh, Brian Cardinal and Jan Mahimi. So there's a couple of more. So that puts you at uh, that puts us at eleven now, right? Yep. Um, let's see. Uh, Dominic Jones was hurt, didn't play at all in the playoffs. There's twelve. Twelve. Roddy was hurt. He didn't play at all in the playoffs. Rodrigue Bobois. So there's mm-hmm. thirteen. Um, Karan Butler was hurt. Didn't play at all in the playoffs. There's mm-hmm. fourteen. Uh, Steve Novak was with the team early in the season because yeah. he and Brian Cardinal were competing for spots. So there's fifteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexia Jensa was a player that was traded to open up room for Peja. There's sixteen. They had Sasha Pavlovich on a couple of 10-day contracts before they got Peja. There's 17. Yep, one more. One more. One more. One more person from that. Uh... <laughs> um, is it is it uh, obscure? Is it one that I, I – are you surprised that I haven't mentioned? Um... Um, kind of. He had a – a, a bright moment in the playoffs, but then it played. Oh, Corey Brewer. There you yeah, go. Corey Brewer. There you go. Yep. Yep. So, there you go. Yeah. Corey Brewer. All right. Pretty impressive. Uh, so that's all 18, right? Yep. That's all of them. I was curious right. if you were going to get all of the, those three that, you know, were there just partially and then didn't, didn't finish the season out, but you, you, you did probably, that's probably like the best one I've had so far, actually, in terms of, oh, wow. uh, yeah, so. Well, I'm supposed to know those things, man. That's yeah. the play-by-play guys. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, so uh, I, I would guess that if you asked anybody, I, I think it's, I mean, clearly the 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 trio of Pavlovich, Agenza, and Novak would be the, the three that are hard to get because those guys didn't finish the year with the team. I mean, exactly. yeah, I think the rest, I think for everybody, I think, that, you know, if you gave them time, you know, you would you would somehow be able to kind of, arrive at a lot of those guys that finished the year with the team but I mean yeah. Novak played what seven games I think with the team Something that like year that. And, yeah his contract wasn't guaranteed and so as he got close to the guaranteed date you know they cut him and then Agenza was traded like we said and I think he had maybe played 10 games and then you know they gave Pavlovich uh, two different 10-day contracts and I guess the story with that was that I think he had a really good game the final day of his first 10-day contract and I think along the way in there, he broke his nose or something like that. So he was out there playing, you know, during his time with the ten day with the two ten day contracts with a broken nose um, wow. and playing with a, a mask on. And I think the story goes that you know Rick told everybody in front, you know, because they were getting ready to bring Paige on board, or yeah, you know, maybe they. I think maybe they had, and, and maybe they just felt like, okay, well, we don't need to to have this guy here and Paige, but they hadn't. But Paige wasn't playing yet, and he was going into that little mini training camp that they did for him to get him ready. And I think Rick told everybody in the locker room and, and, and that, you know, we're not bringing Sasha back because now we have to sign him for the rest of the season and we want to maintain some flexibility, uh, you know, and have an open roster spot. And supposedly, like, the whole room, like, you know, was really excited – or not excited that he wasn't back, but in a, in a show of appreciation for what he did and, you know, played hard and played out there with a broken nose, I think that uh, he got a pretty good uh, round of applause and, and hugs from his teammates for his time with the Mavs, for a short time with the Mavs, so – yeah, those uh, those three guys are obscure footnotes in yeah. Mavericks championship season history for sure. 
They definitely are. And I was kind of debating about what season I wanted to ask you about, but I figured I'd might as well go with this one. So you can, really, uh, we can, we, we could try another one if you want. I mean, uh, what, what, what was, uh, what was another debate that came up? Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to take too much of your time. I, I, I would love to ask you another one, but if, if you're, if sure. You're, okay. No, we could do that. Um, all right. Give me Let's see. I'm curious how I would do now. So, okay. Yeah, this is, a, this is, these are always a lot of fun for me. Yeah, and, and some of the guys, I, uh, Marquise Daniels got a really uh, good laugh about it when I asked him. I asked him about his rookie year, and he he had a, some good laughs about it. So that, that was a fun one if you, ever, <laughs> if you ever get a chance to listen to that one. Um, okay. All right. Let's go with the uh, 2014 Mavs, the year that when they took the Spurs to seven games. Okay. What's the, what number am I trying to get to here? How many? Um, 15. Wow. Okay. 15 Mavs in the 2013-14 season. Um, well, the starter were, starters were Jose Calderon, Monte Ellis, um, Sean Marion, and Dirk. And the 13-14 starter at center would be Sam D'Alembert. So those are, your, those are your, that's your starting five. Uh, your bench consisted of Vince Carter. Had a big role off the bench. Um, Gal Meckel was on the team. He was. Shane Larkin was another guy who was a backup at point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay Crowder. Yep. Brandon Wright. Dewan Blair. Uh, so how many? How many? What, so yeah. I said the starting five, and then we did off the bench. We said Carter. And Meckel and Larkin and Wright and Blairs and Crowder. So we're at eleven yeah, of the fifteen yeah, 11, right now, right? Correct. Eleven. Yep. Um. Huh. Who else was on the thirteen fourteen team? Ricky Lido. Correct. Who they had just drafted. So that's uh, that's twelve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who else would have been on the thirteen fourteen team? We got twelve of the fifteen. Um, Bernard James, correct. Sarge. Yep. So there's uh, thirteen. So 13. we have two more remaining. Um, was yeah, Anthony Moore was the year before, and I don't think they brought correct. him back for another year. Yeah, the year so. before. Yeah, he was not. He did. He did not come back for the 2013-14 season. Um, there was, I, I, the, the, there was one guy that made. There was one guy that made his return to Dallas this season. Oh, Eduardo Nahara. No, 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 no. That wasn't. No, that was. That was. That was yeah. three years before. Yeah. A uh, return to Dallas in 1314. Um, and he's still with them now. To Dallas. Oh well, JJ. No, yeah. uh, someone else. Oh, Devin Harris. That's Devin right. Devin Harris, Harris yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 Devin Harris. That's right. Yeah, JJ yeah. came back the next year. So one uh, more. Yeah, that's Devin Harris. Yeah, that's right, because that's how they're back at point. Because I, I, I was sitting there saying Larkin and Gal Meckel, and I was like, I know, though, that wasn't who the backup point guard was the whole year, but remember, Devin was hurt the first half of the season. Yeah. So, yeah, he had, uh, he had signed, and then they had to void the contract because of the, the failed physical. I remember reading uh, that. And he had, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. He had to have the toe surgery, and they re-signed him to a one-year minimum deal, and he had the toe surgery and then didn't start playing until halfway in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's Devin Harris for 14, and then 
one other player on that Maverick 13-14 squad. He didn't see a lot of playing time. Uh, he did not see a lot of playing time. Hmm. Uh, anything notable that else that you would tell me about him? Um, he may have been a NCAA most outstanding player. I, I'm not positive on that. Wayne Ellington. There you Wayne go. Ellington. Yeah. yeah. Yep, that's the yeah, one. Like that. He was, yeah. He was the most outstanding player of the 2009 tournament okay. whenever North Carolina won. Yep. Yeah, I, was, yep. I, I couldn't remember if it was him or uh, Hansborough. So I just, but I knew he was on that team. Um, yep. No, no, you're right. You're right. Okay. So. All right, well, I needed a little bit of help. I, I, yeah. I'm, I need a little help on that one, but yeah. uh, right. feel okay about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. not bad, not bad. Well, uh, thank you so much, Mark. It, you know, I really enjoy these conversations, and I was looking forward to speaking with you. And thank you for rescheduling last week when I was sick. I was down with the flu for a few days, so it was a rough week. But I, uh, <laughs> You and everybody else, man. It's yeah, been rough. I know, I know it has been, but uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with the, the broadcast tonight, and uh, thank you again. All right, Michael. Great to talk to you. Great to catch up, and uh, we'll uh, we won't wait until nineteen years into my next in, in my next nineteen years before we do this again with the map. <laughs> All okay, right. We'll, we'll catch up before good. this. Okay, All right. great. All righty, Michael. Good stuff, man. All right, thanks. Bye. Forgotten America. <laughs>